0: Welcome, I'm your host Adam Bailey and I'm a commercial drone operator in the UK. This podcast looks into the UK drone industry, the people, the companies and what's going on out there. All my guests play a major part in the industry. Welcome to the UK Commercial Drone Podcast. And welcome back to the pods. This week I have with me the guys from Moonrock Insurance welcome to the podcast
1: thanks for having us Adam you, do you Adam. want to introduce yourselves f- for this yeah I'm uh, Simon Ritterband I'm the um, managing director of Moonrock Insurance and this is Paul Lisberg also kind of managing director <laughs> of Moonrock Insurance <laughs> so introduce
0: Moonrock Insurance to us as well what do you specialize in why have we got you on the UK commercial drone podcast this week
1: well as I say thanks for having us Love being here. chatting to you, Adam. We are one of a select number of specialist drone insurers in the industry. The reason being that drone insurance is unlike any other product in the market. There are special qualifications that are needed to obtain insurance, drone insurance, and we facilitate those with a specific aviation liability insurance for those needs. So it
0: sounds like a subject that's going to turn people off right away. Give, it, give us... <laughs> give us some really exciting points of why people should be listening to this podcast you know not turning off now listeners please do stay with us
1: What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about some of the fundamental points of drone insurance that are required, mandated by the CAA. So as much as it might pain people to listen to it, there are some salient points that people looking to get into the industry will need to know. And even those within the industry will have to abide by.
0: So those who are in the industry already, we're going to help them get cheaper premiums because you're going to tell them the tricks there.
1: (laughs) No, we're talking more about the, the, the fact that the CAA now require regulatory evidence that your insurance conforms to the standards, which I'll let Paul explain in more detail. <laughs> Thank you. The CAA have a specific insurance requirement,
2: which is very specialised. It's aviation-based legal requirement, meaning that you have to have public liability insurance just like you would if you're a car driver in order to operate drones commercially. So there are a limited number of, as has explained, drone insurance specialists that actually carry these specific covers in their policies. And why it's important, obviously, is that every single commercial drone pilot has to look at this and buy this insurance in order to operate in the first place. So quite simply, is part of their operational costs and part of their needs.
0: I know the answer to some of these questions I'm going to ask, mm-hmm. but some of our listeners might not. So what are the minimum covers that people need to have if they want to operate with drones commercially?
2: This is where it does get boring. <laughs> this is measured in a thing called SDRs, which is a standard drawing right, which, believe it or not, is a form of a currency and does actually get traded and exist at different amounts of money. The CAA requires every drone pilot to carry more than 700,000 SDRs worth of this specific public liability insurance, which, as I say, is not just any public liability insurance. That equates in pounds right now to roughly just under 800,000 pounds worth of public liability
0: that will quite surprise some people because most people think oh we've got to have five million two million pound public liability insurance but what you're saying is at the moment the minimum amount we need is eight hundred thousand pounds that is
2: correct and obviously most insurers it well certainly we Go from one million pounds upwards, but that's obviously because you're actually dealing in a currency that could fluctuate, so you want to make sure you're above it. But the reason why two million, five million, or even ten million often come up is because contractors themselves often require you, as uh, the person that they're employing, to have certain minimum levels of public liability insurance. So to give two very obvious examples, if you are working for the BBC, the BBC mandate all the time that carry at least five million pounds worth of this public liability. Another one would be the National Trust, which usually mandates, can vary upwards, but usually mandates a minimum of £2 million.
0: If you're going to work in London, they're going to want to see £10 million public liability as a minimum. Certainly for some of my clients, £10 million is the minimum. They're looking towards £20 million mm. and above now as well.
1: But I, I'll pick you up on something, Adam. You're absolutely right. There is a misconception that people up until now have thought that they actually require £5 million. We have also been telling a lot of our clients now... To re-educate them, that one million is plenty sufficient for their business needs, especially photographers, videographers, surveyors. But with the ability with our policy to upgrade it for specific jobs to two million to five million, and then bring it down after that specific job, so you haven't actually got to pay for the the level of cover at five million for the whole year. It's much more of a flexible policy to be able to purchase.
0: I must say at this point that. Actually, even though I know Simon and Paul quite well, I'm not actually covered by Moonrock at this point. <laughs> uh, so, <Pointing laughs> so, so there's no nepotism going <laughs> on here. It's right. one of their competitors who provides. We will be taking
1: him out for lunch though afterwards and uh, see what we him can up. do.
0: <laughs> People who understand cover etc. might understand what we're talking about here, but can you explain for the listeners what public li- liability insurance actually covers?
2: Yes. Public liability is essentially covering what is called a civil wrong. And a civil wrong could be crashing into someone else's property. It could be crashing into someone else. Essentially, a public liability is any form of damage to something or some. One third um, party. Some third party, exactly.
0: So if I'm out doing a job, say, and I lose control of my drone because there's some sort of connection failure, we have a flyaway and it crashes into a building, it covers that sort of incident? That is precisely what public liability is there for. And what if I just have that million pounds and it causes that much more damage? Am I limited at that amount or can someone sue me for a lot more than that?
2: Well, technically, your insurance is limited at that point. The real truth is... When that comes into question, what would actually happen if, for argument's sake, your drone comes down on a moving train, causing it to crash and tens of people are injured or fatally injured? The reality is clearly put the amount of public liabilities that most people actually hold, would that suffice? The answer to the question is that it's complex. I'm not honestly
0: sure. So, so for an operator, they really need to be looking at where they are and what they're going to be operating when they're looking at taking their cover and we- whether if things come on, if they need to scale up when it comes to it. So if they're working, say, in a field in the countryside, they're not going to need that £10 million. But say they're working in central London, it might be something. Yeah,
1: they- you could look at it like that. And I, th- I think the responsibility actually does lie on the person you're contracted for. They're the one who will be liable to a certain extent, for any other damage that may be caused um, in the event of an accident. So legally, that's vicarious liability, isn't it? Absolutely. So that's where anyone who
0: creates, say, an employment opportunity, they hold some responsibility to make
1: sure that you're covered. Absolutely right. You're spot on. I think there there are just a couple of other points that I think we we must also mention on the mandatory insurance for the policy. It all relates to what's called EU Regulation 785-2004, another specific requirement is a specific clause called war and terrorism or war and allied peril cover now again this is not found in any other form of insurance other than aviation and refers as you can imagine to war and terrorism and it's a cover that is necessary under EASA regulations and now CEA regulations so everyone must check their policy and their provider to ensure they're covered with this policy. So drag those PDFs out guys and uh, quick control F and put that in for you. (laughs) Get it sent off with
0: your Ops manual absolutely. So any other covers that a drone (laughs) operator should be looking at when they're taking this cover you know things that they should be looking for things that you would consider that is necessary for a drone operator to have covered.
1: When we first started research in the industry and we conducted some various different polls, we found that the biggest concern of the general public wasn't actually the drone falling out of the sky and necessarily hurting the individual. It was actually what's that drone doing in the sky and if it's got a camera and it's looking at me, why is it looking at me? So there's a whole issue around privacy. Now We have a specific clause in our cover called Invasion of Privacy. Now, obviously, Invasion of Privacy is quite a hot topic at the moment. People are concerned and it's about the, the name drone and what it represents. The cover for Invasion of Privacy would allow a pilot who is flying, who inadvertently captures information or imagery of a person they shouldn't be, to be covered if they are sued in a civil case. And it's quite an important factor Along with others such as data protection, cyber security, again, someone taking third-party control of your drone and using it for various activities.
2: Other things where your cover actually exists. Want to make sure your policy covers you if you get work abroad. How far out? Some policies are very um, specific about wording of whether they can fly over water, etc., etc. There are various different things that you want to be looking at. Ultimately. Over and above the public liability we've mentioned, you've got to be looking at damage to your drone one way or another. You are flying it, something goes wrong, your rotor breaks, it hits something, blah, blah, blah. Can you now get a replacement drone to work tomorrow? That's obviously key for anyone. Like Business continuity. continuity,
0: yeah. So we're kind of looking at the equivalent of, say, household contents insurance, as it were. we're looking for equipment cover, we're looking for stuff in our office. The computer blows up and then you can't edit something. It's, it's going to really... For myself, I've got the business cover, I've got public liability insurance, employer's liability insurance, that's a big one. Does that come up very often with drone operators? Because we've got a lot of one-man bands out there, there.
2: There are a lot of one-man band operators, but I would say that you know, at this moment in time, anything between 10 and 15% of policies we sell incorporate the employer's liability which we offer as an add-on. It obviously depends on on each individual
0: circumstances. So anyone who's looking to scale should really consider that. I
1: think even even if they're a one-man band and they're utilising a spotter, which any good drone pilot should be doing, the spotter is considered an employee and should be covered under the employee's liability policy. They're
0: best getting that with their public liability insurance, aren't they? Because yes. generally getting that from different suppliers becomes quite cumbersome and expensive.
2: Well, yeah, and also quite simply it ties it up. It means that the policy renews at the same time because obviously what you don't want to be doing is having for the same effective business five different policies all renewing at different various points.
0: Looking at one other cover that I've got as a business and I've always considered whether I need this or not, it's a professional indemnity cover. Is that something that drone operators really should be looking at?
1: Many many pilots out there are working as surveyors and providing their professional opinion to their clients. There are instances when we do believe that professional indemnity should be taken by pilots working in these areas. And they should be looking at a specific professional indemnity policy cover that covers not just their drone work, but their, their business as a whole, uh, most policies, or generally it's regarded professional indemnity, should start at a minimum of 100, a pounds to £150,000 per year. For worth of cover. Worth of cover, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is an area that we're seeing more and more people requesting. As their clients are asking them to interpret the information, it could be 3D mapping, it could be LiDAR. All this information that is interpreted by, the clients, by their client should have cover for it accordingly. Listeners... In insurance, obviously,
0: there's privacy aspects to it, and so I can't ask the guys about specific things, who they've covered, claims, etc., but I can ask things in general terms, so that's what I'm going to do now. What's the most interesting operational theatre that one of your clients has asked you for cover on?
1: It's interesting. I spend 95% of my day on the phone speaking to numerous different pilots in all different areas. And I am absolutely blown away by the usage of drones now in the industry. In the various different worlds that we're finding it is, is truly phenomenal. I get excited to hear of work that's done from an ecological point of view. We recently had a woman who was using her drone to photograph the plastic contamination of beaches around the UK. She got a lot of national press following her adventure just to highlight the amount of decay of plastic on UK beaches and she was going around the whole country. We've got conservationists looking at hedgerows to make sure that if developers are coming in to develop certain types of land, that the environment, the local inhabitants and habitats, aren't necessarily damaged. Looking at, we've got supermarket brands looking into delivery options. So what's the silliest thing that you've ever been asked, can you cover this for us?
2: Well, yeah. there, there was actually one potential customer who isn't a customer, who actually advertises that they disperse ashes we see people who've deceased and use the drone to actually drop which I think is illegal anyway but I, I'm not getting into what they're doing and what they're not doing but we were asked about cover for this particular client.
0: Well that comes under dropping articles from an aircraft and it comes up under the safety it's in the regulations you can look it up in the ANO.
1: We also had a, a, a company ask as an advertising agency whether they could fly drones with banners underneath like you get with airplanes pulling the banner and until we found out the first time we tried it the banner got caught up in the blade the drain came down so again not a good idea and not uh, not covered under the terms of most policies we've got guys who spray chemical components anti-fire resistance spray against chimney stacks yeah we've got a few different spraying clients
0: yeah so what i'm getting from you is that there's a lot more going on out there then most people are hearing about, and there's more ideas coming along. And you're not saying we're not going to cover it, but you take a definite approach that it needs to be legal. It needs to be able to be done in a safe way that we can cover it.
1: Our underwriters, Hiscox, are incredibly flexible and incredibly open to new ideas and to help the industry. And we put forward to them conversations that we've had with potential clients And they'll weigh up the pros and cons and assess the risk. Obviously, areas that they they would not cover, I think, is quite an important area, would be flying directly over nuclear reactors, flying over live airfields such as Heathrow and Gatwick, although they they are allowed to fly over airfields that have been shut, closed and disused. Okay, so even if the operator has an instruction
0: from one of those, say, take for the instance nuclear power plant i know some operators have had some instructions to inspect those and one in fact had to fly his drone in inspect inside and leave the drone there because it was contaminated by that point <laughs> so God. so that was built into the price you know it's like i'm losing my drone goodbye
1: our clients are allowed to use you would go into nuclear facilities there are just conditions about making sure that it isn't within nuclear reactors And there are plenty of sites that our clients have flown in in and around nuclear facilities, just not the actual reactors themselves.
0: Let's have a bit about the background of Moonrock. How did you get here? Do you both have backgrounds in aviation or is it from something else?
1: It's one of those stories that Paul and I look at each other and, and we cannot quite believe, first of all, that we are in the drone industry, which is crazy enough as it is, but let alone the insurance industry, which... Uh, Neither of us knew too much about when we first started. I was in the property development industry, uh, the market, and had been notified by one of my builders on a property that I'd had that we needed to check the roof tiles. And I was like, well, why are you calling me? Just, you know, send up a guy and and have it inspected as usual. He goes, well, I've got this new idea. I've got this drone, which can take a look at the roof tiles without having to send anybody up, no health and safety, and we could do it in two minutes. And I was like, this is crazy. So I thought I'd have to go down and have a look at this set the drone up automatically I was like this is the future so I went and did some research and it just so happened to be the commercial UAV show going on I think at Olympia this first year hot-footed down there walked into the arena and was this vision this buzz of excitement about what was happening in this new industry and I signed up there and then to become a drone pilot I went to one of the NQEs and said I want to know more about this industry went away did my ground school um, took on the laborious exercise of writing my ops manual, and then came across the area of insurance and and what I needed to do in that area and some of the financial aspects around it. I didn't complete it. I had a conversation with one of my friends, Paul, who will carry on. (laughs) Yes, I suppose
2: this is where I come in. We were actually having this particular conversation on the golf course. I've got a background in the music industry where I signed and developed different artists, And I actually sold my business some months before and wasn't quite scratching around thinking what am I going to do next but having kind of looked at various different things I was just what might be interesting what might not be interesting. I'm playing golf at this point, I'm enjoying my so-called retirement, and Simon was just telling me this exact story, I've just seen a drone, it's incredible, I've gone to Euro USC, whatever, Oops, sorry, didn't
0: say Well, no, gone to you, drone you can, school. We, we can mention the names of uh, NQEs, et cetera, because people are interested yeah. in, in where they come from. Euro USC are no longer here, there are a number of NQEs out there, and no doubt at some point we'll be talking to some of them. <laughs>
2: And he'd just obviously gone to drone school and was going through the process of becoming a pilot. And we had a whole conversation. And actually what Simon was really asking me is, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should film? And I think really he was predicating that conversation on, should I be going over properties and looking at that side of the business? Should I be...
0: Should he be competing with me?
2: Exactly. So that's where that conversation ended. And that's why I said (laughs) right there and then, there's a guy who I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) And it was actually me that just through a relatively casual comment really to be honest with you and said it sounds so exciting but I wouldn't be looking at the front end of this industry and what you'd be filming it's the back end that's possibly exciting how about something like insurance and literally pretty much that was the end of that conversation until a few days later Simon called me quite excitedly and said I've had a look at this insurance idea for the drone industry at which point I thought what drone insurance because <laughs> I've completely forgotten this very off-the-cuff remark and it's very very interesting it's still such a nascent industry that the insurance industry is very very immature and I think there might be something in it. Would you help me write a business plan? So, yeah, I'd love to write a business plan. As I say, I was a kind of a, a bit of a loose end anyway. So, and again, really on a personal level thinking, well, I'm probably not going to get involved in this, but I'd love to write a business plan because I've never done that in my life. As we started writing this business plan, I was also very much seduced by the prospects of this particular industry. And pretty much thereafter, we submitted that business plan to various underwriters who would obviously have to, in short, Underwrite help us them. with the scheme. All I can liken it to, just having come from that business, is it was like having the hot demo. All of a sudden, all the big underwriters were calling within hours of receiving this document and saying, we'd really like to talk to you. You know, please come and make an appointment, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, we settled on Hiscox because they were the creme de la creme of the insurance industry.
0: So knowing that there was other underwriters in, in insurance, and I actually spoke to Lloyds about cover, Uh, What sets Moonrock apart from your competitors? Why was there that interest?
2: Well, first and foremost, at that time, and possibly even to date, we actually wrote the very first drone and drone-specific insurance policy. There actually hadn't been one prior to that. And in fact, one one thing that always made us chuckle a little bit was that policies existed, and they may well still exist, I don't check it anymore, but policies existed. If you actually read the wording of the policies, because they'd been based on previous aviation policies they would talk about things like when landing the drone which had just been literally it had been plane crossed out to be written drone aircraft yes please make sure the wheels are engaged I mean and genuinely all the operators pretty much at that point were buying policies that said these things so there there hadn't actually been a drone specific policy clearly in that way we were entirely different because we built from the ground up and it was a very important tenet Going back to our business plan, that was a very important thing that we wanted to actually achieve because, again, Simon had done that research right from the off and recognised that actually there hadn't actually been a drone policy to this to date. There had just been something that worked for people, but it actually wasn't really working in truth.
1: I think we also we, we looked at what pilots wanted as well. We really tried to, to cater to their needs. So... We were the first ones to, to approach the NQEs and suggest rather than pilots having to spend upwards of five, six hundred pounds on an annual policy, even before receiving their PFCOs at the time, was to take out a one-day exam cover, so flight assessment covers, you know, which hadn't been thought of until we came along, you know, allowed the, the pilot or the soon to be pilot to not have to part with so much money straight off the bat. We are an online service. No one up to this point could produce policies and purchase them online immediately. And we're always trying to find new and intuitive ways that is helping the pilot. You know, we now offer flexible policies. So as I said before, you haven't got to buy a policy that you're stuck with for the whole year. You can, to this day and age, people want the flexibility with their insurance or any of their financial needs.
0: Where does the name Moonrock
1: come from? So it's a very interesting story. Again, it was one of those quirks that Paul and I will probably sit back on in the future and think, well, that was a stroke of, stroke of luck. We had had an original name for the business, which we'd been running for about three months. And we'd noticed a competitor had come into the market with a very similar name to ours. And they were a company who were, we would say, trading off the back of us. Their policies were more expensive and the policy wasn't as half as good as ours. There was one letter difference. There was one letter difference in in, in the company name, absolutely. At first, we didn't take too much notice until we started speaking to clients who we'd spoken to to say, well, um, everything okay? What happened to you purchasing the policy? At which point they would turn around and say... Well, we have bought it, and this happened more times over the few weeks, over the coming weeks, and we realised that we were losing the business that we'd secured to this particular rival. So we sat down, and discussed ways that we should uh, take them to court, and look at the trademark. And we were getting quite frustrated with it, and we consulted some lawyers, and we decided that at the end of the day, it was going to cost us a fortune to go down the legal route, and it may not actually prove successful in the end. And I think this is where Paul can come in on the next part. Yeah,
2: well, for (laughs) disclosure, our name was Insurance for Drones. The actual legal advice that we took was that, interestingly, despite whatever protection you've got on your name, because it's so generic, if someone comes into the marketplace and calls themselves Drones for Insurance, they're actually not necessarily infringing you because you're both doing exactly what you say you do on the tin. If you're called Adidas and someone wants to call themselves Udidas, then that's different because clearly you're deliberately trading off someone else's random trademark. But but if they were called just football boots, the football boot company, the boot football company is no problem. So this would be, this is the legal advice we've taken. So it just so happens that after hearing this explanation from our legal representative I said, so if you were called and literally picked the first word that I could think of that meant nothing to me, Moonrock, insurance, would that be okay?
1: Which, which I said was, which he said, the name.
2: Which he said, yes, that would be fine, blah, 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 blah. I relay this whole story five minutes later to Simon and goes,
1: Moonrock, that's brilliant. And that is how he became Moonrock. And it also allows us at some point in the future that if we did want to diversify into other areas of insurance which we are actively looking at now you know the drone industry has has opened our eyes to a whole new plethora of concepts in the um, autonomous industry moonrock gives us the ability to to look at other areas what
0: is the future for moonrock how do you see the industry progressing and moonrock progressing with it
2: first and foremost and we do want to state this this is a dedicated drone insurance company whatever we expand into it all comes around the same kind of principle and Yes, we may well have different arms as we go into the future that involve other autonomous vehicles. What you're probably not going to see us doing is suddenly becoming property insurers. You know, we know our speciality and that's where we want to stay and we really do want to be seen very
0: much as specialists. Unless it's a home automation system or something like that yeah
2: well i suppose there would be potential things but what we're not trying to be is suddenly tomorrow cornhill
0: insurance so where do you see yourselves progressing in this industry then are you you feel you're the market leader already yeah. do you so uh, where do you go from here well, well is, i is think
2: it? i think we're probably more like avis at this
1: point we're, we're kind of always knocking on the heels but wanting to take over and we will I think there's huge interest, obviously, in the drone industry and where that leaves the insurance market. There's numerous different conversations happening at government level. I sit on the, uh, one of the government panels, along with the DFT and the CAA, discussing just such matters as more and more drones become prevalent from a hobbyist. And the consumer point of view is, where does the risk lie? And these are big questions to be answered as the industry grows and how these are going to be flown safely and who is going to be liable for the risk. So, there's, there's a lot of conversations to be had still. So, you, you've mentioned sitting on the board with DFT,
0: CA, and there's changes on the horizon with the ASA, etc. Is there going to be changes that people need to be aware of in the insurance? Very likely. Is that one of those watch this space kind it, of areas? It,
2: well, it is really because we don't know the answers, but what we do know is there are consultations going on right now particularly looking into the various different things, I guess the two areas that I think people would say that they're being most looked at without being able to say we know that something will happen within insurance is one, as Simon's alluded to, there there could be different laws regarding hobbyist usage of drones. It is possible that people, as in America, they were already registering their drones. Registration could then lead to, okay, well, if we now know who you are, we're actually now going to say to you, you have to have your drone insured to a certain level because what if something happened? And the other area I guess that people are potentially looking at is various different classes of work and that might change the way we actually look at the insurance market. As a very obvious example, someone flying over farms just surveying whether animals are running about might have a very different risk to someone flying over railways to look at lines because obviously you know, you've got hundreds of people going over those railways, etc., etc. So there might be different classes as time goes on. But again, frankly, I don't know the answers. I just know that these are things that people are looking at different
1: areas and that might affect the insurance regulation. And it, it, it makes absolute sense, even from looking at the market as it is, to ensure somebody who's just doing the odd bit of wedding photography to somebody who's flying over a multi-billion pound solar farm. The prices, the premiums can be pretty much the same, but the level of risk is obviously far greater and also the level of ability. So it comes back to the training, the NQEs that will be offering training to different areas of the industry will need looking at accordingly.
0: That's a topic for an entirely different (laughs) podcast just then. Now, obviously, you're talking to people about their operating drones. You've been on an NQE course there, Simon. Give us your experience with drones. Have you flown a drone? If you have, what drones have you flown? How many times have you crashed them?
1: I have flown drones, and unfortunately, hardly any in the past 12 to 18 months. As you can imagine, my time has pretty much taken up writing policies or trying to write policies. I did fly a drone last summer with some friends at a friend's wedding and one of my mates sitting next to me said oh can I have a go as people often find in this industry it's never a good idea to give your drone to somebody who's never flown a drone before within 30 seconds it had crashed obviously I wasn't insured and he did kindly reimburse me but I think that's one of the biggest areas of claims are especially in the hobbyist market people using drones giving it to their mates to fly and to crash it what drone was that it was the old Phantom 3 Advanced which is currently I think sitting in your house isn't it Paul? It is. It is. It gets very occasional use. <laughs> Literally. We just, check your yeah. drains I think once in exactly.
0: exactly. So you've, you have both flown phantoms then. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, anything bigger? Anything intri- really interesting? <laughs>
1: Unfortunately. Not that not.
0: phantoms not interesting by the way.
1: <laughs> I have had a quick go on the Mavic which I just think is the most wonderful bit of kit for, you know, entry level Uh, users into the industry I've been on unique away days and seen some of the X500s being used, the H H920s H920s being used yeah. I was at an exhibition in Vegas a couple of weeks ago and saw the launch of the new DJI M two hundred M two hundred. That's right, with the uh, Hasselblad camera underneath. Oh no, that would be the M, the new M series. The new M series. Yeah, yes. quite a meaty piece of kit and an yeah. expensive camera underneath. Wouldn't so, like to be. So uh, the
0: M two hundred is the new industrial quad, but right? The, uh, okay, the one with the Hasselblad, because obviously DJI now own a Hasselblad. Uh, uh, do they? Yeah, yeah. They, wow. they, they, they've purchased Hasselblad, but that's a huge bit of kit a lot of money and for those of us with a photography background it's quite exciting but still I'm not going to be investing uh, 60 grand or whatever <laughs> it is to take some nice medium format photos
1: yeah we, we a lot of the exciting stuff we are looking at now we get we, we are underwriting a lot of the fixed wing systems that have come into play the EB is quite a popular one within a lot of our clients for surveying agricultural land Again, expensive bits of kit. Well, um, Parrot
0: have just released their new their have. new fixed wing with the Sequoia that's
1: in there. And it's, it's very affordable. Yeah, it's much it's much more into the price point for people to, for the mass market appeal, absolutely. And we're noticing this in the whole industry, prices are coming down considerably, as have insurance premiums. When we launched the business, our premium prices were twice as what they are now, and that, and that goes for pretty much every provider. So as we're saying, as more and more people are getting into the drone industry, Hardware's coming down, prices, software prices are coming down, policy prices are coming down, which is all conducive to some real uh, growth. So have you flown a fixed wing yourself or have I've seen not, one no, fly? I've not seen, I've not no. seen the, fix, the fixed wing. I think I'd like to see some fixed wing BV loss. shortly. Have you seen any? I've seen plenty. Have you? <laughs> Okay, we're coming into the last part of the pod.
0: I'm going to ask you about the future. You know, what do you see is the future of the industry? You're seeing a lot of what's going on out there. You know, whether it's physically or through talking to people, what do you see the future of the industry is?
2: Well, I think the. The obvious huge move is when the CAA are kind of regularly giving BVLOS loss permits out to various people. And that is going to be the opening of Honduras box, I should imagine, in terms of there will be many, many more applications. The obvious ones being drone delivery, which clearly seems like it's, it's well on its way. And it's what people have been talking about for many, many years Needless to say, you know, a lot of it around the Amazons and all the different things, but there'll be probably many, many more usages than just your grocery stroke books or whatever coming to your door. Have you seen the taxi service in uh, the exactly. Middle East, for example? Exactly. The I E-hang. Mean,
1: Would that you is... ensure that? Funnily enough, we have spoken to our underwriters about it, yeah. and if the relevant safety requirements were acceptable and the, the civil aviation authorities have signed off on it, there'd be absolutely no reason why this wouldn't be insured. I think, just following on from Paul's point, I think one area that will make the whole industry far more cohesive is the development of the UTM system and how the drones will be managed and applied within the Civil Aviation Authority. So Uh, UTM is
0: Unmanned Traffic Traffic Management, Management and we're actually going to be talking to people who are working on that
1: on the pod in the near future. And there's some phenomenal applications out there, really is high-level stuff, and far beyond my understanding of anything Mm -hmm it based but we know we are also speaking to to, to a number of these uh, utm systems in terms of insurance inter- integration as well
0: so the future on the insurance side is actually lowering the risk before they've even looking at covering is that correct or is it more autonomy on you know looking at who's liable
1: in that fact it, it's assessing the risk in more of a real-time environment understanding weather conditions understanding population densities so I'm going to ask about a competitor and a new thing
0: they've put into the market just now because I've seen it and I've, I've seen a presentation about it, the new Flock cover. What's yeah. your thoughts on that?
1: We've been in conversations with Flock pretty much from day one and we have great relationships with those guys. Where can people find more information about Moonrock? We are heavily involved in social media. You can look find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Crazy4Drones. The website's www.moonrockinsurance.com look at the website and find our phone numbers really helpful staff and uh, happy to help
0: and we'll certainly put a link to your website on the blurb about the pod and just look there if you want to click through well thanks very much for being on the pod hopefully you'll be back on again soon and thanks for talking to us thank thank you you adam thanks again for listening to the uk commercial Drone podcast subscribe and please leave a review for more details you can also find us on twitter and facebook